Good Monday morning, you bastards. This is Matt O'Dell. Hey guys, Jonathan. And we are here with another episode. We are. What is this, episode 17 already? This would be. So, for those keeping track, we need microphones. <laughs> <laughs> now, what we said was... Not to we, beat around the yeah, bush. If we, me and Jonathan said if we, <clears throat> if we kept this up, like we kept our little pet project podcast going, yeah. we were going to buy microphones on the 20th episode. Yeah. So, we're still using our lowbrow equipment, and we've been looking and kind of daydreaming about some microphones. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so we're almost there, Jonathan. We've almost hit episode twenty. We're getting we're getting close. We're, I, let's just record like three more episodes and call it call it twenty. We'll just do. <laughs> let's wrap this one up real quick. Thank you for tuning in. You can ah. find us on <laughs> and done. But yeah, so we're actually I'm pretty um, pretty happy with how everything's been going. Yeah, we're starting to find a momentum and a rhythm. Yeah, I think now it, it's going to be great to uh, you know reward ourselves with. Uh, some some new sound coming soon. So right. those those that have been binging and listening and listening to all the sound quality go up and down. That's called the learning curve. Thank you. Yeah, and thank <laughs> you for sticking it out this long. Um, I know we've gotten a lot of um, um, people emailing from Austin. Oh, cool. So that's pretty neat. Um, I, I, there's a group of people in Austin that have been listening. Uh, there's local people around here. And you know what's been fun, Jonathan, is people have been saying um, there's a motorcycle mechanic that works at a Harley dealership and he's like a lot of the stuff you guys are talking about applies to my world too just I just see it differently that's awesome you know so that's a good that's a good thing yeah it's always and that's the other thing like having this feedback really helps us out a lot you know because we get to sit down throughout the week and talk about it and figure out like okay let's try let's do this or talk about this you know yeah and uh, it's I mean, that's the thing is we we're not we're not we're doing this to, to try to help as many people as we can, as well as us. Yeah, and as us too. A, yeah. a lot of the times, it's like talking about things that we're either working on or working through or want this different perspectives on. Um, no, we have been kind of on a, on a, on a topic for for the last two episodes now. And yeah. So this will be the last episode. We're going to wrap it up. Yeah. And what we've been talking about. Um, is how to capture our artwork and display it, whether it's through a monitor or through actual physical print. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And last episode, we had uh, John with us. Um, Big John. Big John, <laughs> who is a uh, cinematographer, videographer, uh, male dancer, <laughs> you know, uh, but uh, really knowledge- knowledgeable. And the one thing he said was, you know, he's, he's just as much of a technician as anything else. And yeah. He understands his equipment, but he doesn't live and die by his equipment. Yeah, and that's kind of the important thread we have going here, too. Yeah, we're trying to make sure that, that you know that you don't have to spend tons and tons of money to get what you want. Right. You know, throwing like throwing money at your, at your projects is not the answer. Right. I usually, rarely is it the answer. You know, my experience, and the reason why we even delve into this topic of uh, capture, uh, display, and print um, it's because I had an awful experience. You know, I, I had a, a, a painting I made, and right. I wanted it for an upcoming um, show. Oh, okay. It was going to be in Texas. And I went to a print company off a recommendation, and they handled all kinds of stuff. I mean, they handled, like, the banners on the sides of buses to billboards. Oh, yeah. They did campaigns. Like, at the time, a baby elephant was getting ready to be born at the zoo, oh. and they were showing me all the stuff they could do with, like, cutouts and stickers and... They had a you know multi-platform campaign that they were printing all the stuff up for, and I just wanted an art print. 
Right. And I think the difference is is that these these print companies they're they don't really care about your emotions and about how like the intent wasn't captured a hundred percent because right. they're they, they they just you normally have a message and whatever's lost in the image is followed up with some kind of block of words or something. Right. So that's the one disconnect a print company is going to have. The second thing was. Is that when you go to a print company, I don't know if you know this or not, but you have the front of the house, which sells the prints. Oh, yeah. Then you have the back of the house, which makes the prints. The front of the house is tiny. (laughs) And the front of the house might not be as knowledgeable about printing and the process of printing Mm -hmm. as you would hope they would be. So when you give them something that, yeah, 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 I got you. And then when when the print comes back, and sometimes it's a two-week wait or three-week wait, it's off. And it's you know we're talking like um, large large style prints like the twenty by forty or or whatever that can be an expensive order. They can be to screw up. I mean I think my first order I ever placed they tried to get six hundred bucks from me, um, and I I went around with them and ended up no that's not what we agreed to. But it was it was a mess, man. A, a lot of places. One thing to be aware of: a lot of places will offer test prints. It's usually still at a cost, but it's like a way cheaper way of making sure you got your stuff set the way you want it to. And there's a whole nother podcast somebody else can do yeah. about all the ways a print company can manufacture your product. Yeah, there's how to get a large amount of things out and how to get a few things out and sometimes what they'll do is if you're only ordering 10 things they're not going to set you up on the big four color press they're just going to spit you out on their tinier limited digital press or something right. you know and so that's another thing to consider is you you're like why doesn't my stuff look good well you only ordered 10 we're not going to waste our time with you so that got me into this whole entire discussion was i a couple years ago i just started you know Trying to figure it out on my own. Yeah. I didn't want to deal with them anymore. So to follow up, who were we, we were using Monet, right? Yeah. Monet and his haystacks. Monet, Monet. Well, yeah, the angry Frenchman. <laughs> we're rewriting history. Now, we had sent Monet back to get a better picture in our last episode. Right. Because Monet came in and he uh, wanted to know why what was showing up on the monitor and on the prints didn't look didn't match up with what he had in front of him. Colors were off. The lighting was off. Yeah. And we sent him back and we gave him some tips. Mm-hmm. And if you go back to episode 16, you can listen to some of our tips we gave about the basics of lighting. We didn't send people out to go get $5,000 cameras or anything like that. So yeah. we did the whole episode on how to do it. With uh, your phone, yeah, camera, simple what iPhone. you had. Yeah, using what you have. It's just there was no one right answer. Right. You know? Now, Big John was with us and he used the analogy... Of a frozen pizza. Which is a good one. Great one. You know, and you can get that frozen pizza, and right before you cook it, you can throw your own ingredients on, mm-hmm. but it isn't the same ingredients as the company used, Red right. Baron Pizza. So in a perfect world, you could go to Red Baron Pizza's factory and customize your pizza before they flash freeze it. Exactly. In this case, what we're talking about is actually taking the photo mm-hmm. and getting an in-the-lens image. Capturing what you want right off the bat, mm-hmm. the way you want it. And then now we're kind of getting into the, the uh, topic of, well, now we're going to bake that pizza. Right. And so we have to have our L, make sure our oven's calibrated, make sure 400 degrees is it's truly 400. 400 degrees. Our timer, our timer might be, if it's a mechanical, it might be running a little fast or a little slow. 
You, you, know? you don't have an atomic clock in your kitchen? Yeah, well, actually, I have a mine synced up to the internet. I, I can, can cook a pizza from here. No, I, don't, I can't actually. That'd be badass. <laughs> I have a pizza ready for you by the time you get home. That'd be so awesome. It'd scare the hell out of me. So, uh, in this case, the oven is our monitor. And we've... Uh, well, take us through. What, 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 what are some of the things we got to worry about with our monitor, John? Uh, the, the two big ones are um, where, where you have your monitor set up um, environment-wise and then calibration of the monitor. Um, so a, a quick grassroots, bare-bones way, um, most computers have built-in calibration capabilities of them um, in your computer settings. And you can go through and it runs you through what maybe 20 questions and it has you look at photos and adjust things depending on what you're actually seeing um, and then you can kind of go from that standpoint and if you wanted to jump into actual calibration tools where you buy something stick it on your screen and it runs with some more software that says what you're seeing is what you is correct and if you were to print it it would match up with that as well it's going to dial it in a little bit more um, I, I use Spider Pro, which is a device that just hangs on my monitors and uh, gets uh, measures the ambient mm -hmm. lighting of the room and makes sure that the um, projection of the screen matches the, what the local color should be. So if I have a red picture of a red apple on my screen, right. I actually get what the original red apple should have looked like. The the, the, the capture, the intent of the of the process. And that and the big thing, what you just kind of uh, mentioned, in the environment aspect of it is something that not a lot of people understand or even think about. But just taking the time and maybe setting up your computer screen in front of your nice bay window isn't the best yeah. option for you. Maybe for inspiration. But if you're sitting, your intent is to sit down and edit pictures or make sure that your print is going to look the way you want it to, pay attention to where you're setting up your screen. The kind of lighting that's in the room, if you can control it, if you can't control it. Um, but consistency is key here. Yeah, so if you do calibrate your screen, it's calibrated for the lighting of that room. Right. So as soon as you change the room, you're going to get a different... Uh, uh, image on your screen slightly. Yeah. You know, but these things are compounded. Mm -hmm. If it's off a little bit in the camera, then it's off a little bit on the screen. It's going to be off even more on your print. Right. So we can control the calibration. We can also control the contrast and brightness on the actual monitor. Mm -hmm. The rule of thumb is keep it at 50%. Right. Keep your contrast at 50%. Keep your brightness at 50%. Um, you know, as monitors age, the contrast is going to go out. So you're going to have to keep kicking it up. Yeah. Um, the calibration hopefully will help with some of that. But, you know, at some point in time in the past, I had jumped my brightness um, all the way up. I, I don't know where Without I was. realizing Yeah. It. Well, I mean, I was probably traveling or something, and I was in a hotel room, and I, and I kicked it all the way up because of the, I couldn't see the screen. I don't know. At some point in time, I had kicked all the brightness up. Now, in the next three months, I edited all these photos oh, no. with the brightness all the way up. So then I went to print them, they came out dark. Mm -hmm. And so the screen, the photos had the exposure that I wanted, but the print, they, they looked 
really deep, over uh, under underexposed. They were mm -hmm. darker. Oh, and then I I was going through all the settings and I realized oh it did exactly what the file thought it should do, but my display was off. Right. So what's happening is the display is kind of a snapshot of that file. It's a preview of that file. Mm -hmm. um, and if your if your if your display is kooky, <laughs> the yeah. file doesn't. The file's not just because you change the brightness of your monitor doesn't mean you change the brightness of the file. Yeah, that stays the same. It'll yeah. stay the exact same. Yeah, and paying attention to it and understanding the the factors that go into what you're seeing, and the same thing holds true with your phone too. And that's even more of an issue if you end up editing photos on your phone because most phones will have a automatic brightness adjustment depending on what room you're in. Right. So understanding, like, making sure that your phone's at 50% brightness too right. so if is you're, a big thing. So for the intent of the phone, let's say you're just putting something remotely up on, on your Instagram or on your Facebook yeah. or on your web page. Um, and you, we discussed earlier how you can use your iPhone to get a good capture, a good picture. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's the same thing. You go hit the brightness on medium. You know, make sure everything's kind of okay. Yeah, make make that mental checklist for yourself so you're not catching yourself out and you're getting frustrated later, wondering why it doesn't look the, the way. Because the funny thing it. is, you're gonna upload it on your phone, which is too bright. Right. And then when it comes up on your web page, well, it's going to look the same because it's the same display. Right. But as soon as you go inside you sit down at the computer, you're like, why does this look so dark? You yeah. know, Very um, different outcome. So that's something to think about. It's something to take into consideration. The calibration, I think, is pretty important. Mm -hmm. um, but let's get back to actually handing our frozen pizza or our, our image file. In the previous episode, we discussed that when you're looking at a photograph on your computer, what you're really looking at is a file. Mm -hmm. So we're going to discuss... Um, using these files correctly. Um, if we did everything right in a perfect world and we captured everything in the lens, right. there's little post-editing that we need to do. Which is ultimately the golden goal. Right. But that hardly ever happens. Right. So starting with uh, color balance, uh, that's probably one of the first things I pick up on and actually in in like if you if you do use Lightroom mm -hmm. it's like the first option is making sure the temperature of the photograph is correct yeah and that has to do with whatever the temperature of the lighting in the room was at the time and and the camera will kind of screw that up from time to time yeah and it, unless it's been a few weeks you you'll look at it and you'll know like oh that doesn't look quite like what I remembered it looking let me tweak this a little bit mm -hmm. either it's too cold or too warm yeah, it's going to change the overall value of that apple that we took a picture of. You know, we've been using Monet's Haystacks as an example. And you'll definitely know that if you took an evening photo and it's, uh, you know, it's supposed to be more reds, mm -hmm. but it's looking a little more purple and whatever. We know that the color balance. So try that one first. Yeah. Um, now, we were talking about Lightroom and Photoshop, but mm -hmm. really you can use about any utility program that either came with your camera or your scanner or your printer. Yeah, the, the phone, you've got a, a huge gamut of apps available. On the computer, most people with a Mac are going to have the Photos application. Um, I don't know what Windows has on theirs by default. I think there is a Photos app. Um, I have no idea. That you can... <laughs> 
I'm not I'm not skilled in the Windows world. Yeah, I haven't ventured down that. But you typically, if if you have a computer available, um, it has some sort of default. But yeah, if if you have anything other than a iPhone, you've got a DSLR. Don't throw that disc away. Yeah, because <laughs> typically there's a, a utility on there that's going to let you at least organize and edit to some. And the main extent. thing that it's going to hit as and. There's there's a couple of options. It's gonna have saturation, exposure, contrast, white balance, and cropping. Um, just a rundown, really quick. I guess if you wanted, if we wanted to do a one, two, three, I guess the first thing would be the color balance. Just yeah. make sure the, the the temperature of the picture looks like the intent that yeah. you want it to. Crop it. Mm -hmm. Get rid of. Tighten the photo up. And we discussed earlier like the importance of in the lens trying to crop it as much as possible. Yeah, or getting a composition that's appealing. Um, now the exposure, that's another kind of big one. Mm -hmm. What we tried to do with our lighting situation in the lens, um, maybe it wasn't perfect, you know? So the exposure, play with that slider a little bit and make sure you don't get something that's too washed out or too dark. Try to find that balanced look. Yeah, because all of these are kind of just like fine tuning. Like if, if you're if you're if you're adjusting it way beyond a certain point, it's usually more for an effect. Yeah, you're making up for something you you that might not even have been in the original photo. Right, completely failed to do right. And again, what we're talking about is not artsy photos of of dogs walking down the street. Right, we're talking about <laughs> trying to reproduce your artwork. Yeah, yeah. You know? um, the contrast is another one. You're trying to make sure the blacks are black and the whites are white. Mm -hmm. um, and you're just pumping those up or pumping those down a little bit. Get now, enough separation. I would say on the contrast aspect of things, sometimes as you go through these three processes from capture, display, to print, mm -hmm. I do cheat a little bit and pump my contrast up just to help it give it, like, it's almost like a little a bump in the process of like, come on, little buddy, let's, you got a long way to go. Make sure you, those blacks hold up. Right, right. You know, so sometimes I'll bump that a little bit up. And sometimes even on the saturation, I'll bump it up just a little bit um, before I go to print it just to make sure that nothing gets lost along the way. And it's not, I don't, I wouldn't consider it cheating. I'm just saying that this thing has got a long way to go before it's in print mode. And right. sometimes a little boost here and there, I wouldn't be too angry about. Right. Don't or beat yourself up and think it's cheating. Yeah, we, uh, the end result is always like, is it going to translate what the goal is, you know? Like, is it going to... Because if you're thinking like, oh yeah, this is exactly what it is, but when someone just picks it up off the street and looks at it, if it doesn't translate instantly the way you wanted it to, then you need to make these adjustments. I like that pizza theory. Yeah. Where basically if you ordered a pepperoni pizza and then you get later and you start throwing a bunch of mushrooms on it... Right. If you're throwing a bunch of contrast on it, I mean, is it is it really pepperoni pizza anymore? Did mm -hmm. you did you do so many post product post post production tricks that it's you're not tuning anymore? You're actually just recreating a new image, and yeah, that's yeah, a yeah. threshold you're trying to stay below. Yeah, I would say. Um, I don't know what uh what are some of the problems <laughs> that you that you've had with any of this? Um, Display-wise, um, it's usually just being aware of the factors that go into what you're seeing on the screen. Being aware of the fact that you need to be paying attention to the brightness of the screen. Being aware of the fact that you need to pay attention to the lighting that's around you, the environment you're sitting in. 
um, and then being aware of what calibration is and what that means for you when you're looking at your files and the representation of what you're trying to reproduce. Um, because understanding that and making sure that you're set up is going to segue into the whole printing aspect because we, we're, we've talked about this kind of three-step process of capture, display, print, um, and it, it does throw a lot of vari variables into where something can go wrong. So if you've taken the time to try and capture as well as you possibly can, understanding what goes into displaying it is important because the, if, you're, if your final step is displaying it and displaying it for the web on a screen, that's one thing. Um, most applications have gotten really good at translating because web is an interesting beast because it has its own color sp uh, space for that as far as some colors work well and some colors don't. So I found, and this used to be more of an issue a few years ago, um, it's getting better, but I would edit a photo, it would look really great on my monitor, then I would upload it to my blog and the colors would desaturate drastically. And um, so I learned about exporting with web safe colors from the application I was using and that saved me a huge headache. Like I said, most applications have gotten beyond that now. So this is the topic we've been trying to avoid. Yeah, because but it, it's it gets so, it, really it's meaty. It's really confusing, and we've been. This is how we've been trying to figure out how to present this to to everyone. Yeah, and the running chord line that goes through this entire process is color space. Right, and recapturing, redisplaying, reproducing. What's physically in the front original of you. color space? Yeah. What you painted, what you drew, and making sure that color space comes out on the print as close as possible. Mm -hmm. Now, in a perfect world, that color space is a like a maybe let's call it, let's call it a, a box, mm -hmm. right? And let's say that there was um, a thousand men inside that box, and their job was to reproduce their color. So you have a group of blue guys, and they do various shades of blue. Right. And you got some green guys, and you got some. So you got a couple workers in between there that find the steps between blue and green, and it goes all the way around the color wheel, right? Yeah. The thing of it is, is that once you get it onto the monitor, like, you know, fifty of those guys don't show up for work. Right. <laughs> and so the monitor's got to figure out a way to make up for fifty guys that didn't show up for work that day. And again, when it goes to the web. The web's got to figure out a way for a completely different 50 guys that didn't show up for work that day. And it's got to, it's got to take on that workload regardless whether people show up or not. Mm -hmm. Just because it doesn't have that blue, it doesn't leave it blank on the photo. Right, right. And, and that's, it'll come up with its own systems. You don't have to completely worry about the math of all that. Right. But, yeah, and that's the, that's the thing. Like A lot of these systems do it automatically for you. But understanding why it doesn't look the way you want it to is what we're trying. We're trying to like play that game of like this is how you can fix it. Don't get frustrated because it's not looking the way you want it to. We did a long episode on the capture part. Yeah. And the reason is is because it's very difficult in post production to emulate what was in the real world. Yeah. But if you didn't, these are what we're, we're trying to give you here is a way 
to kind of fix that and correct it a little bit. Yeah. And knowing that color isn't 100% the same through each process. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we've got, you know, Monet's finally happy with his uh, picture on the, on, on the, on the monitor and, mm-hmm. and everything looks right and the colors, are, the colors appear correct. And finally, he's just like not being such a jerk about it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> now it's time um, to print. We have some options with printing. Yeah. Um, and again, if we were to go back to the print house, they would, they would try to sell us this or sell us that and they would use words that... You know, we would nod our head, and I think the the one thing that everyone remembers is matter glossy. Right. <laughs> you know, hot press, cold press. You know, and if you're already in the art world, you kind of you know what these words are. But when it actually comes to the printing, we've got to take something that was just displayed on a monitor, which is an additive light, meaning it's it's using uh, a, a series of small light bulbs to turn off or on, to printing it out, which is more of a subtractive process which our, our eyeballs use and it's got a it's got to bridge that gap somehow right one neat thing is is that they do sell some entry-level printers that help get that color gamut stronger now that color gamut is that color space we were talking about right. the color gamut is inside the color space the color gamut is the people that actually showed up for work that day right 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 um, if you use an all-in-one printer, you go through this entire process and you use an all-in-one printer that, that's really popular from Office Depot or Office Max or wherever you go. I did it again, Office Depot. Yeah. I don't say sell, sell printers or not. <laughs> They'll have the basic three colors. Right. Cyan, magenta. Which it has a, a particular capacity of people showing up to work. A very small. Out of a thousand people that were supposed to show up to work today to print it, Probably 500. Yeah, probably. Probably 500 people showed up and tried to take on all that work. And yeah. it got a little muddy. People didn't do their jobs correctly. They were forced to do jobs that they weren't even trained for. Which would be fine if you're like wanting to share a quick snapshot with one of your family members. You know, of like the kids went out to the park today. Or a quick reference or something. Yeah. I don't know. But if, if you're actually trying to sell it or display it on your wall, it's just not going to... The best paper in the world is not going to make that all in one printer work harder. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna end up beating your head against the wall wondering why your your printout isn't looking as close to your original artwork as possible. So what we've done in a sense by using a, a less than premium output being the all in one printer mm-hmm. is we've taken all that hard work of of trying to get as big of a color gamut and true to life intent of that original photo and then we've throttled it all down by using an output that is less than stellar, right. you know? I don't know, that's a probably a too fancy of a way to put it, but that's kind of what's happening. Um, if you wanna spend a couple of bucks, and I would recommend that if you don't wanna rely on the print companies, let's say, you know, if you've ever ordered prints before, they start at 300 bucks. Yeah. And if you order three or four times, I mean, in the course of a year, you're going to spend a thousand dollars just on letting someone else print your stuff up. Or the reality, if you're if you're buying all-in-one printers, typically you're going to burn through one, like one every year or one every year and a half anyway, because the, it is a turn and burn sort of technology. Yeah, you don't keep an all-in-one printer once it breaks. Yeah, there are two companies which I like: Epson and Canon. Those are usually the big ones when it comes to printers, for sure. And you can get an Epson and Canon from the all-in-one shops. Mm-hmm. But there's a line that you'll probably have to special order. 
um, through like B and H, one of those websites, mm -hmm. or uh, a high-end photography place would would have some more of these type of printers. Yeah, typically. The Epson line is called the Epson R line, and you can go back and find some used ones. The first one was the fourteen forty, then the other twenty eight eighty, and now there's a new one that's like the three thousands. The Canon has a Pro series, and I think they're all the way up to Pro nine thousand. Okay. But the biggest difference is is their printer heads. Their printer heads are smarter, mm -hmm. um, and they use more colors. They have the step in between. Where the other all-in-one printers have cyan, magenta, and yellow. Yeah. They have cyan and light cyan. Um, magenta and light magenta. They have black and light black. So And light, light black. Yeah, and light, light black. So you're getting a much better range of your output that is trying its best to render... What you want. Yeah. And so it doesn't stop there, though. And, the scary part is, is you still have to cross that threshold and have some type of communication. And we talked about this a little bit last time on, mm -hmm. the, on the episode, um, I think it's 15. Yeah. There's four basic settings of how the monitor talks to the printer and how that printer gets the information. And really quickly, without, without getting too crazy, they were... The, basically, you're going to go through... Because your application is going to tell the printer, like, how... Because, like we were talking about with the guys showing up to work, when you get up to a nicer printer, you have more guys to show up to work. But still speaking, you don't have all the guys at work. Mm -hmm. So um, you're going to have a smaller handful of people being like, all right, you need to make up for this color, you need to make up for this color. Red didn't show up to work today. Right. You know, and it, it's not that red didn't show up to work. Just some of the values of red didn't show up to work. Right, right, right. And so the the application is going to tell the printer, like, well, this is how you're going to translate this color that we can't translate. This is how you're going to do this guy's job. Right. This is how you're going to fill in the gaps. Mm -hmm. And so we, we end up with options... Uh, saturated, perceptual, relative, and absolute. So saturated uh, looks at the file and it says, well, in order to get as vivid of an, ex uh, an experience as we can, um, at the expense of 100% accuracy, we're going to look at what's there in the file and then we're going to replicate it in a, a vivid uh, way. This would be good if we went on vacation and took some landscape snaps mm -hmm. and wanted uh, snaps. bright snaps. That, that goes snaps. Yeah, that's uh, for drizzle, baby. <laughs> uh, that that would be something we want to pop the experience out. Yeah, right. And we're that's that a nice little, sunset. Yeah, waves crashing, mountains, purple veins of gray. Whatever. How's that go? Purple shades of purple shades. of... The mountains, man, just come on, you leave me fucking hanging here, man. We're in two totally different music worlds. I'm Purple sorry. Mountain Majesties. That's what I was trying to say. Oh. God damn it. Um, so for our application, we probably don't want the vivid. Yeah. Um, then you have perceptual, which for me personally, this is the one I usually default to because the the goal is it's going to look at the file and it's going to translate it to what our eye is going to be looking for to want to perceive um and it's actually one of the print standards in it is the print standard for japan when it comes to print houses and things like that um, so that's the one that i rely on the most i have the best results as far as what i'm seeing on my monitor is what i'm going to see in the print um, 
From there, you've got relative and absolute. Uh, the, the difference between the two is um, the relative one, it takes the, the colors that didn't show up to work and it tries to shift them to the closest ones. Everything else it's able to reproduce properly. It's the ones that didn't show up that it tries to find a close. And like we mentioned before, this is where you're going to find the color banding. This is where you're going to find the guys like, oh, it's a light blue. Let's do that three more times because I don't have the jumps of right. gradation that would be required to get to the deeper blues. Exactly. And then absolute, um, the guys that didn't show up to work, we just forget about them. So we're going to fill it in with the, the, the color um, that is our default, essentially. Um, which, in a little bit of research, uh, that's good for testing how uh, paper color will end up factoring into your print, um, which is probably a good time to kind of bring in the, the other factor in all of this. And this is the last... The last thing before we're done is the paper. Yeah. Paper is, uh, especially when you take the step to get a, a decent printer, paper, you have all this paper options. And as you'll quickly understand with like a, a three-in-one printer, unless it's your traditional printer paper, Anything thicker than that, it's going to bog down the printer. It's not going to be able to handle it. Yeah, a smarter printer head is going to recognize the thickness of the paper and adjust for it. Mm -hmm. Where an all-in-one printer, it's just putting it out, and that head will actually scrape along the paper if the media is too thick. Yeah. So we have a couple things to think about. Do we want a glossy finish or a matte finish? More than likely, we're going to do a matte finish because it's an art, art print. Yeah. Um, we have cold press or hot press. Mm -hmm. Now, hot press, all those fibers are going to be smashed together a little bit more. Mm -hmm. So we're going to get a smoother, a, a smoother, more saturated kind of image. There's not going to be those, uh, for lack of a better term, those pits um, in the pulp where the, um, um, the, 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 the relief of the paper, if you rub your finger on it, mm -hmm. the, the cold press is going to have more of a texture to it. Yeah, kind of what you might think like a watercolor paper would feel exactly. like. Um, then uh, a watercolor paper, you know, if we did want to go that route, mm -hmm. that does have more of a traditional feel. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't have that kind of more cold feeling that a, a, a cold press would have. Or yeah. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, the hot press would have. So I guess like if you're doing an ink drawing, mm -hmm. hot press would be the way to go. Yeah. If you're doing a painting, like a watercolor painting, cold press would probably be the way to go. There's also a third option. You could actually print on canvas, um, yeah. which is possible with uh, the, the newer, better printers. Um, just the ones we mentioned before, the Epson series and the Canon Pro series. Um, and so depending on what you want the final image to look like, I guess start with the type of feel you want the paper to have. And you had uh, mentioned to me a little while ago, there's uh, every company has sample packs that you can go out and get. Oh, yeah. And that way you can see like, okay, well, Epson or Canon offers these papers. Because it is, it is beneficial to pair your paper with your printer because the, the company has already taken that step of like, these are the inks we're using, and this is how it's going to apply to these this are the, paper. These two people together are going to work harmoniously. Right. So, yeah, Epson will have Epson paper, and the Epson paper is actually coated 
with uh, um, a fine residue that'll help bring out the contrast of those colors. Mm -hmm. So your your rendering intent, intent will be better, and Monet will be happy, everyone will be happy, and you'll you'll nail a little bit more. Yeah. I mean, you'll know right away. You, even on if you print eight and a half by eleven sheet of paper and all in one, the first thing that happens is it desaturates. The blacks aren't as black. Um, you'll get a little bit more smearing of the ink. Yeah. Um, where the printer head rubs across uh, the wrong color the wrong way. You actually, if you touch it right away, you can actually smear the ink. You know, the, mm -hmm. um, and then if you hung that paper on the wall for a year, it wouldn't take but six months in the sunlight for that. You'd see the ink start to go away. Yeah. So that's the other benefit of using a better printer is you're going to get light, fast ink. Mm -hmm. You're going to get light, fast paper. Um, and you mentioned before, even the color of the paper, because you can get more of a blonde color, more of a brown color. And it is good to test out your print to make sure... The color translates the way you want it to, unless you're just doing an ink drawing, and then that's... Oh, who cares? Yeah. Yeah, so I think if we if we took the time and understood us a little bit more, we want to start making our own prints, these last three episodes are going to either A, help you understand what happens when you drop your photos off to a printer, mm -hmm. and hopefully get you in a place that you can give the best in the lens for photograph in a file to a printer. Yeah. From there on, you can blame them. Right. <laughs> you know, you, and you can know what to talk to them about. Exactly. You'll be able to tell them, look, I'm looking for a hot press paper. I'm looking for a cold press paper. I don't want this. I don't want that. Mm -hmm. You'll be able to get a little bit more. Um, and then, um, yeah, and then you can arm yourself with that information. And then, you know, then you can actually, with, with what we little we gave, Everyone, as far as like how not diving too deep in all these conversations. Yeah. I think you should be able to just start making your own prints. Yeah. You know? Exper with experimenting with it is the biggest thing. Yeah. Because uh, for me, I, I got really excited once I was able to start printing. And it is. You go through a very big frustration period because it's just like trying different things out. It's like anything that we end up doing art-wise. There's always that process of like, did this work? Did that work? Make notes, you know? I know both of us have lots had of notes. A lot of sketchbooks full yeah. of notes of like, I did this and tried this and these combinations worked and this didn't work out. You know, so we're we're trying to break down like the little things that we found that were the hit points, you know, to help translate that in a way that maybe will help the rest of you guys. Because the thing of it is is that my artwork and John Art's John's artwork and Monet's artwork, they're all different. Mm -hmm. And so I might find a process that works well. That works well, but if I try to reuse that exact same process with Monet, his color uh, space, the original color space will be different. Yeah. So all these things, all these settings, all this in the stuff that I captured might be off a little bit, and I'll have to adjust it for that. And that's just playing around a little bit. Yeah. So there is no. What I guess what I'm saying is there is no. This is how you do it. Mm -hmm. It's more or less like here's the idea. Right. <laughs> you know. <laughs> You start with your, you know, like John said before, you start with your frozen pizza. You try to get that with all the ingredients that you want. Mm -hmm. Make sure you have a calibrated oven. Cook it correctly and then enjoy it. And the bottom line is it either tastes good or it doesn't. Yeah. It's that simple. It either looks good or it doesn't. And hopefully we've given you enough information that you can track down systematically Why what went wrong. Yeah. You're going to start with the lens. How did you take the picture? We discussed the lighting. We discussed uh, some of the options with the lenses for iPhones. Mm -hmm. We discussed using a DSLR camera. 
um, how you saw it on the monitor. Was your monitor calibrated? Start tracking that stuff down. Yeah. More than likely, everything is going to be, most of the problems are going to be found in how you captured it. Yeah. How you displayed it, um, making sure that you did any fine-tuned adjustments that weren't in the original um, image mm -hmm. that need, need to be filled, those gaps that need to be right, filled. Right, right, right. And then actually printing it. And this is, I think that's probably the most frustrating part is the printing part, is making sure that those steps you talked about, those settings you talked about, yeah. um, match up with with the paper and the printer and the actual software that's driving the, the printer. Yeah, and, that, and that's one of those things that just takes a little time and mm -hmm. patience with. Yeah, definitely. So I don't know, John, what do you wanna do? You wanna print some stuff? Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, we want to thank everyone. Um, I hope that this three-part series has been helpful. Yeah, thanks um, for hanging in there with us. It's kind of a little of an experiment on our end, too. Yeah, like, it's a lot of information to cover, and we tried to debunk all the scariness of it. Yeah. You know? So if you can, if you've made it this far, um, if you can take a few minutes just to give us a little feedback on all of this just so we kind of have a better idea of where you, we're sitting you can leave a comment on our webpage, which is www.bastardsart.com yeah uh, you can go to the itunes we're on itunes and you can leave a comment and rate us there we'd love that you're mm -hmm. on stitcher we're on soundcloud um, we release every monday <laughs> bright and early so once again this has been the bastards of art podcast thanks for listening guys thank you